So we are going to launch into the next, the next couple weeks we're going to talk about Colossians chapter 1 verses 5 through 20. And it's a very interesting uh, dynamic that Paul is setting up in the text. He's writing about Christ. He's writing a theology about Christ. Don't mind me, I'm just off to get my glasses so I hope you can still hear me. Um, I'm trying to get used to preaching with them on. But he is writing about Christ because he wants to make sure that the Colossians know that it is not Caesar who is Lord, but it is Jesus who is Lord. And so he's going to pour out in the next five verses of Colossians 5 through 20, I'm sorry, 15 through 20, this whole theological, that was pretty cool, huh? This whole theological concept of, of Jesus. And I, 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 I was thinking about, you know, there, there's so much in there, and how much do I want to actually kind of pull apart? And I just didn't want to plow through it. And so we're going to spend a few weeks in just about five chapters of, I'm sorry, five verses of Colossians uh, 15 through 20. And I would encourage you over the next few weeks to read those verses Kind of let them marinate in your, in your heart and in your mind because it's, if you really think about what Paul is saying there, it's, it's pretty profound. It's pretty deep. And in fact, it's so deep that we're only going to get through this morning half of one verse. And, and, I, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I don't have to. Maybe I can just kind of plow through that part. But I just, I just have this sense in the Lord that we need to spend some time here. So, Wes, if you would put our one verse. This is Colossians 1, 15. We call it A because it's the first part. The sun is the image of the invisible God. I'm going to pray. Lord, I want to thank you for that thought, for that truth. Lord, I pray this morning that you would reveal that truth to your church. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you. In your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You know, I've, I've met many a people in my travels. And I've had a lot of conversations with people about God and God, God things. And in those conversations, more often than not, people believe that there's a God. People believe that there's a, a higher power, a divine entity. They, ne they don't necessarily believe what the scriptures reveal about God. But they have this idea that there's something more. There's something greater than who they are. Something that has created them. The problem that they have is that there's, there's, they, they don't understand what he's like. They, they, they don't have anything to base an understanding on. And because they really don't understand, they, they don't know what it means to submit their lives to him. They don't quite understand what it means to surrender to God. Because mainly they've created a God in, in their own image, missing the point that we have been created in his image. 
but it's more comfortable to create a God that kind of fits with your lifestyle, fits with the things you like to do, fits with your schedule. And one of the biggest stumbling blocks, one of the biggest hurdles that I find in people's lives is is the question, how do you follow something you can't see? How do you follow something that you really don't know? Yes, there's this God out there and he's, and he's doing God's stuff, but who knows what God's stuff is? How do you follow something that there, there's nothing tangible to grab a hold of? And it's a, it's a really good question. Then even if you press, you press even farther into those conversations, Many people, especially in the States here, and even, even in Europe, they, they know about Jesus. Jesus isn't, you know, when you mention the word Jesus, they're not like, eh? I mean, he's connected somehow to God? Who's, who's Jesus? They know about him. And, and, and too often you get this, well, he was a really good guy. He was a great teacher. My dad used to say he's a great salesman. Like, uh, Dad, he wasn't selling nothing. <laughs> um, he helped people. He got a bum deal. I mean, they, they killed the poor dude. All he was trying to do was help people. They nailed him to a cross. And so they, they still within the Jesus idea, they, don't have a, they, they know him and they know some things about him. But the whole God thing is this like surreal idea out there in the cosmos. Like, yeah, he created stuff and, you know, and, and, and he spun the world. And, and many think that he just stepped away from it. And he's just kind of let it run amok and let it do what it's going to do. And even for Christians or people who would consider themselves Christian, that they believe in Jesus, that they believe in the Bible. They might not necessarily read the Bible, but they believe that you know, the Bible has some good stuff in there. They have this, this idea about God. God is, God is the God. He, he's the guy in the Old Testament. He was always grumpy. He was always grouchy. He gave all of these rules to the people that, that, were, that they could never follow. And then when they didn't follow them, that they couldn't follow them, he gets all mad at them and he sends them into exile. And, and he's the God of genocide. He, t- he tells them to kill everybody. Women, children, even the animals, wipe them all out. And so they have this really strange idea of God. And, and you know, that stuff's in the Bible. We can't run away from it. And, then, and then, there's, then there's the Jesus. And almost like there's a separation between God and Jesus. God is Old Testament grumpy guy. And Jesus is about love, peace, and hugs. And, and he's the New Testament guy. And, you know, and, and he went around, he had those striking blue eyes, and he had the long flowing hair, and he just looked good, you know. He was, he was, he was subduedly buff, you know, because he, he wore the baggy clothes, you really couldn't tell. But, you know, he just had this presence, and, and he just loved, he, he loved the little children, you know. And, and, and so there's, there's this disconnect. But that's not the case. Old Testament God is not bad cop. New Testament God is not the good cop. And Paul wants the Colossians, and I believe us, to understand that there is no separation between who God is and who Jesus is. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Maybe we can say it this way, that the Son is the perfect manifestation of, of the invisible God, that Jesus was the perfect visual of the invisible. Now, in Paul's day, in Jewish thoughts, and even the the Greco-Roman thoughts, 
there was this, there was this question out there that was always looming. And the question found itself kind of talked about in theological circles. The question found itself talked about in philosophical circles. And it's a very simple question. It was, where can God be seen? And they really wrestled with these ideas. And remember, in the Roman Empire, you, you belong to the Roman Empire, but you can keep your own God. As long as you worship Caesar once a year, you can keep your own God. So there are all of these gods that were part of all of these other countries and nations. And then in Judaism, they're trying to figure out, where can we see God? And so this question just kept coming up over and over and over again. And Paul wants to answer that question and make it very clear. And it begins with this statement. He wants the Colossians to know it. And he wants, I believe he wants us to know it. That we actually have a picture of who God the Father is. We have a picture of what he was like, what his heart was like, as we read the Gospels about the life of Jesus. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. And as you read through the Gospels, you begin to understand, you will begin to come to know who God the Father really is. What he is like, what his heart is like. And you know, I guess, again, I guess I could have just left it there. Read the Gospels for yourself, get back to me next week. But remember last week when I said, when we were reading the beginning of Colossians, and, and, and in there it said, Paul's praying for them that they would come to understand the will of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what I told you was, it's the revelation of the Holy Spirit that reveals the character and the nature of who God is. And through that revelation of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can begin to understand who God really is. And when we start to get that understanding, that divine understanding through wisdom and knowledge by the Spirit, we become transformed. And it's in that transformation that has begun with God carries through with God, once we're transformed, then behavior starts to change. See, it doesn't start with, okay, you all got to clean yourself up, you all got to get it right, and then God looks at you, then you start to transform yourself. And once you start to transform yourself, then you start to understand a little bit what God is all about, and then the Holy Spirit says, okay, you're good enough, now I will reveal to you more. That's not the way it happens. It begins with God. And through that, we're transformed. And our transformation by the power of the Spirit allows us to change. So we have to understand the character of who God is. We have to understand the nature of who God is. And we do that by drawing some conclusions from the gospel. We have to ask ourselves a very simple question as we read through the gospel. If Jesus is the image of the invisible God, then what do the gospel stories tell us about Jesus? And then as they tell us these things about Jesus, what are they revealing to us about God the Father? And there are so many answers to that one little question. We could spend weeks, weeks talking about that, but we're not going to. And I, and I thought, I, I want to give you just, just a few things, three things, this is the closest to a three-point sermon I got. 
three things that I want you to take away from the stories of Jesus that reflect who God is. Now, as I go through and I read the Gospels, the first thing that strikes me about Christ is the power and authority that he walks in. There's this, there's this thing about him that, that's just, it just amazes me, the power and authority that he walks in. Luke chapter 4, there's, there's this guy in the, syn- in the synagogue, and Jesus is walking through the synagogue, right? And this guy has unclean spirits in him, or unclean spirit in him. And as Jesus is walking through, this man who is demon-possessed sees Jesus. Now, I'm thinking, Jesus would probably know the demon's there, but the demon doesn't try to hide. He starts yelling, Oh, Jesus, go away! Leave us alone! Don't, don't come, we know who you are, O Holy One of God. Mm-mm. And Jesus, he doesn't get freaked out. He doesn't get all nervous. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he's not, he doesn't argue with this demonic entity. He pretty much walks up to him and goes, shut up. Now get out of him. Maybe he had the hand up, get out of him. I, I don't know. That's what I would do in Hollywood, you know, get out of him. And the story says that the, the demons threw the man to the ground. They didn't argue with Jesus. They didn't banter back and forth. They didn't laugh. They couldn't argue. They throw the guy to the ground, and they leave him, and the man was unharmed. And the text tells us that the people who saw this were amazed at the authority, power of Jesus' words. Words. Jesus spoke. The demons fleed. This would happen over and over again. Meets up with this guy. He's got lots of demons in him. What's your name? Legion. They beg him, please don't kill us. We go to the pigs. Go ahead. Get the pigs. 2,000 pigs run off the cliff. Not quite sure what the demons are thinking. Maybe they were the dumb demons. I don't know. Um, another time, the disciples can't heal, can't drive out a demon and a young boy. The father's like, please. They throw him in the fire and they try to drown him. And Jesus is like, yeah, get out. Power. Authority, Christ, over the spiritual realm. He speaks a word, and the demons have to obey. And that's not it. It's not just, not just in the spiritual realm that he has this power and authority. He has it over disease. He has it over our, our, the human body. There's a man who comes up to Jesus with leprosy. I don't know if you know anything about leprosy. It's a pretty horrendous disease. Your, your skin begins to have these boils and lesions and, and like body parts begin to just be deformed and, and, and just kind of waste away. It's, it's a terrible, terrible thing. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, Luke chapter 5, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus goes to him, yeah, willing touches him. The story says that the leprosy immediately left him. The leprosy immediately left him. There wasn't a few weeks to heal up. 
it wasn't a few weeks, you know, so the boils went away or, or, you know, the skin lacerations. We know that because it says immediately it left him. And then he told him, go present yourself to the priests and give the, give the sacrifice that's required for your healing. He has this command over disease. And this was a common thing for him. Crowds and crowds of people would be bringing the sick to him and he would be healing their diseases, speaking into their lives and healing all of the diseases that were brought to him. He also had, he also had power, authority over, over death. Death was not the impassable barrier for him. Luke chapter 8, there is a, a leader in the synagogue. He comes and he falls before Christ. My daughter is home. She's a young girl. She's dying. Could, could, could you do something? And in that, in that moment, a man, a person comes from this leader's house and says, don't bother the teacher. Your daughter has died. It's too late. Jesus, he just remains calm and he remains cool. He says, hey, you know, just, just believe. Just believe. And so they go to this house. And everybody's mourning and they're crying and they're, they're wailing. And Jesus will tell you, listen, stop crying. She's not, she's not dead. She's asleep. And what do they do? They don't embrace him. Oh, thank you for it. They laugh at him. So Jesus takes a few of his boys and mom and dad, and they go up to this little girl, and he walks into the room, and he, and he takes her by the hand, and he says, my child, get up. And she, she gets up, and the story says that her spirit returned to her. He has power and authority over the spiritual and also over the physical. Do you understand what happens at death? Her heart had stopped beating. No more blood was flowing through her veins. The chemical process in her, in, her, uh, in her veins, the chemical process in her brain, it stopped. Brain death occurs very quickly. Organs, they just, they just shut down. Jesus spoke to this little girl, took her by the hand, and said, my child, get up. And everything comes back to life and is healed. Her spirit returned to her. Power. That is authority. Lazarus laying dead in the grave four days. In Jewish tradition, they say that after about three days, as the body begins to deteriorate and to decay, in the Jewish faith, especially back in these days, the spirit would hang around for three, two or three days but as the face became unrecognizable to the spirit at about the third day, then the spirit would leave. So Jesus gets there on the fourth day, and he prays, and he says, hey, roll away the stone. We're doing this. And they tell him, Jesus, it's probably not going to smell good. He's decaying. He's been dead four days. They roll away the stone. Lazarus, come on out. And Lazarus walks out of the grave. Power and authority. 
It's amazing. I mean, you should be, you should be in awe as you read the Gospels. And, and too often we just read over them because we know these stories over and over again. We just glaze over them and we fail to spend time allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal the nature and the character of who God is. And it's just not over, over the spiritual realm. It's just not over our you know, humanity. But it's also over, he has power and authority over all of creation. In the, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 4, everybody's in the boat, right? And they're, and they're crossing the sea. And then there's a storm that breaks out. And these seasoned fishermen are freaking out. The wind and the waves and they're crashing over. And it's got to be, I'm sure Peter, he's throwing up off the side. I don't know why I just made that up, but I'm thinking he is. And what's Jesus doing? He's not white knuckle holding on going, oh me. He wasn't doing any of that. He's sound asleep in the front. Always chill. And the boys come up, they're like, um, you might want to get up because I think we're going to die. And Jesus is like, Phew. and he gets up, I'm, I, he's got to be shaking his head. And, 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 and what's, he, what's, what's he do? Three words. He speaks three words. And again, I think he had the hand up like, Ugh. quiet, be still. And this storm that's got seasoned fishermen nervous, Wind, waves, silence. And then the way the story goes, the guys are a little freaked out. And they're like, who, who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That is power. That is authority over everything. And over and over again, we see the demonstration of power in the Gospels from Jesus. What is God like? You want to know what God is like? God is all-powerful. Nothing is too big for God. He can do all things. And just because He may not answer our prayers the way that we want in the time that we want, and in the way that we want, doesn't mean he can't. He chooses not to because he's always doing the best for us in, in his plan, and everything he does brings glory to himself. But he is all-powerful and has all authority over everything. Everything. Say it with me, nice and slow like that. Ready? Everything. You have to say that three times today, just like that. The sun is the image of the invisible God. God has power over all of creation. I guess as I press into the Gospels, and, and, and if I wanted to bring something else, I think I would have to go with the mercy that Jesus would show people. Mercy, mercy is not getting the punishment you deserve. That's sum up mercy that way. And mercy is that thing that we all want. We all want to be shown mercy by God and also by 
uh, within, within our human experience. We want to experience mercy. But it seems, as I kind of look out through the world, that we're very slow to give it. We really want to experience it, but many times we're kind of slow to give it away to other people. Let me, let me give you an example. Maybe some of you, maybe not, maybe you know a person who might have ever gotten pulled over by a police officer for like a traffic violation. Maybe, maybe you just kind of rolled through the red light and you, and you didn't, or the stop sign, you didn't make a full stop. Or maybe, maybe you really think that yellow means punch it so you can make it through before it turns red. And, and that time you just didn't quite get through there. Or, you know, you were in a rush and you're whizzing down the road doing, you know, 35, 45 in a 20 mile an hour zone. Or you pass that really slow person that all you saw was knuckles on the steering wheel. And you're like, man, I got to get to where I'm going. And you whip out on the yellow double line and you go by and all of a sudden, woo, and you look and I'm like, ugh. And so you pull over like long by, the person you know gets pulled over like long by a citizen that they are. And the police officer comes up to the window and you roll down the window and, and, What's the problem, officer? Can I help you? You're nice to the officer. Why? Because you're hoping to suck up to him or her so that they would give you some mercy. And so, you know, you're trying to make light conversation, and in you're like, oh, license registration. And you're looking for it, you're like, oh, I know it was right here just a minute ago. And you're laughing. I mean, you're, you're trying to be nice. Nobody, when the police officer comes up to your window, nobody goes, listen, officer, you know, you're really annoying me right now, and this is a huge inconvenience. That's not the way the plan goes. I mean, if you're dumb, you do that. But that's not, if you're looking for mercy, and you're hoping, you're hoping this, this man or this woman hasn't had a fight with their spouse, hasn't broken up with their boyfriend or girlfriend, is having a good day, and you're hoping that maybe you can get away with, 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 with a verbal warning would be nice, but you'll take the written warning you're hoping for mercy. And you know what I find, you know what's, what's funny to me is when you get the ticket, you get bent out of shape. You gave me a ticket, you broke the law. But you, you, it's almost like mercy is an expectation for us. We want it. Now fast forward. Okay, now it's two weeks and you're driving down the road and this wingnut driver blows by you like you're standing still. And you're going comfortably only seven miles an hour over the speed limit because you feel like breaking the law a little bit is okay. Or maybe you watch some guy punch it at the yellow light to get through or roll through the stop sign. And the first thing out of your mouth is, hey, where's a cop when you need one? Right? I, I mean, you've, you've been there this morning. It's, it's 6.55. I'm driving down Peck Lane. With Ethan in the car, and you know, I'm I'm doing I'm doing the comfortable breaking the law at 25 miles an hour, 35 mile an hour we call it the grace speed. You know, they're not going to pull me over for that. And plus, I'm a pastor in town, officer. I have to go pray. That that would be my excuse. Can you give me mercy? And and this this guy's right on my tail. Woo! He's out into the passes double line. Zoo, he's gone, and I'm like, where is an officer when you need one? to extend this man mercy. <laughs> I didn't want him to get in trouble. And so mercy is this thing that we, we desire in our lives, in our human experience, and we hope that we would receive it from God. Throughout the gospel, as I read about Christ, Jesus lived the mercy of God. And I think the best story that we have that we can look for is in um, John chapter 8. It's the woman caught in adultery. 
So this woman is caught in adultery. And she's, and she's taken out and she's um, paraded through the streets. And they bring her in front of Jesus. And they go, Jesus, you know what the law says? The law that God gave to Moses for, for such an offense, we have to throw rocks at her until she's dead. That's what the law says. That's what God told Moses, and Moses has passed down to us. What say you, Jesus? What do we do? And they're trying to, they're trying to set him up. They're trying to catch him. And Jesus, he, he, he bends down and he plays in the sand a little bit, and they get all up in his business because they're pressing him for an answer. And he stands up and he looks at the crowd. He goes, all right. Whoever of you are without sin, go ahead and throw the first rock. Brilliant! I mean, that is brilliance! And then, it, and then it says, from oldest to youngest, they drop their stones and they walk away. Jesus says, woman, where are those who condemn you? Is there anyone here to condemn you? No. And what does he say? I mean, isn't that why common folk, they wanted to be around him. They wanted to talk. Sinners. He was considered a drunkard and a glutton. Why? Because he hung out with those people. Sinners. And they wanted to be around him. Why? It wasn't because he would condone ungodly behavior. It wasn't because he was an enabler. It wasn't because, hey, you know, I don't care what you do. Just go have fun. That wasn't who Jesus was. Because in truth and in love, Jesus was merciful in word and deed. In truth and love, Jesus is merciful with his words and the way that he lived his life. I mean, he would tell people right out, that's not the way God wants you to live. There's a certain harmony to what Jesus spoke about between us and people. And he did it in such a way, and he said it in such a way, that people received it. And not only did they receive it, they would repent. Imagine that. That mercy can actually cause and draw people to the Father. He treated people better than they deserved. He was the demonstration of God's mercy. See, Christian, God is not looking to fry you. He is not waiting to throw a little fire and brimstone in your way. The scriptures tell us that he is slow to anger, bounding in love, merciful. Jesus, image. Jesus, the image, the invisible God. I guess the last thing I would want to share with you as I read through the book is about the compassion that Jesus had. Compassion is acknowledging, recognizing, seeing someone's hurt and brokenness 
and then and then actually doing something about it. In uh in Matthew chapter nine, there's there's the whole chapter is about Jesus is just healing people. Towards the end of that chapter, it says that he's moving from town to town, village to village, and he's he's teaching and he's um he's healing people. He's teaching in the synagogues. And and in that story, um he He's experiencing, he sees the crowds, and, and, he, and he's with the crowds, and he's experiencing their brokenness, and he's knowing them, and he's getting to know them, and, he, and he's going through it with them. And so it's the brokenness and the sickness. He, he begins to, to almost, I think, identify with the people. And not just in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense and in the emotional sense. Jesus is getting to know them. And as he sees them and as he experiences what they're going through, the Bible says that he has compassion on them. Why? Because they are helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees the human condition wants to do something about it. Not because, not because it's his job. Because he would say later in Matthew, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, and I give you rest. The invitation of compassion. The sun is the, in, the, sun is the image of Visible God. And there's one more story. It's, it's probably my favorite story in the Bible. It's a short little story. It's in Luke chapter 7. It's just this beautiful. Jesus is, he's, he's got a crowd, and uh, they're with him, and the boys are with him, and he's, he's bopping around. He's going town to town. And he's coming up to this town, and they're going to go through the gate. Now, the, the way I, I read the scripture, it's, there's a lot of people with him. There's a whole big town, a group of people with him, and the boys. And as he, as he approaches the gate, there's a funeral procession coming out. And Jesus, Jesus sees the funeral. Jesus sees the brokenness that's taking place. It's a young man. And, and his mom is a widow. And the young man is, is the woman's only son. So she has no husband, and this is the only son, and he's died. And Jesus is seeing this all take place, and he's seeing the sadness and the brokenness and the pain and the sorrow. He's watching the mom cry, and I think that he's just kind of sucked into this whole thing. When I was in Honduras once, I, I, was, I was able to witness two funeral possessions, processions, and in Tupacente, Honduras, um, it's a very, it's poverty like we don't, we don't fully understand. Like even even the most impoverished in Waterbury have it much better than the people in Tupacenti. I mean, it's it's that you know it's impoverished. And uh, we were watching from the balcony of the mission home, and we just saw a big group of people start to come down this this it's a dirt road. Now they don't have you know limousines. They don't have a hearse. They had an old Ford pickup truck that the casket was in, and everybody would just follow along very solemnly, very slowly, and they would go and they would to the cemetery and they would bury the person. Well, the next one that I saw, I came from across the streets and I ran to get my camera. Uh, we were doing something in, in the school building and I ran to get the camera. And as I was coming, as I opened up the door to the street, there was another funeral procession. 
But this one was very small. There was only, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 people, and nobody was talking. There, there were really no tears, and there was no pickup truck to carry the casket because there was a gentleman, uh, maybe in his 30s, and he carried the casket on his shoulder because it was only about this big. It was a little baby that had died. Found out later, maybe a month or six weeks old, the baby got yellow fever and passed away. And in that moment, I'll never, you know those, those experiences in life that, that take your breath away? In that moment, I will never forget the, what, the, the pain and, the, and the, just the, the brokenness that I felt for this family as they walked this little baby from the cemetery. And I can imagine, that's, that's what Jesus must have felt like when he saw this woman. Because the, the woman, it, it, there's no indication in the story that Jesus, or that the woman knows Jesus is there. There's no indication that, that he, she doesn't go up to him. He seeks her out and goes to her and says, woman, don't, don't cry. And, I, and as, I, as I read the Gospels and I understand them and I, and I learn and, and understand Jesus, I have to think that he has tears in his eyes too. Don't cry. And he walks up to the young man. He touches him. He says, young man, get up. The story says that he returns the man to his mother. Could you imagine that scene? Imagine the joy. Imagine the, the feeling. I mean, this woman has lost everything. You have to understand that a widow without a son, you've just fallen to the lowest social class in, in, in society. She could, have, she could have ended up very easily homeless if she didn't have generous extended family. She had nothing. Jesus has restored wholeness. The compassion that he felt in his heart caused him to take action and to do something, and he restored wholeness to this family. The son is the image invisible God. And so time and again, as you read the Gospels, you will see power and authority. You will see mercy. You will see compassion. Jesus used his power and his authority for the good of people. He never used it for himself. They would mock him as he was, as he was crucified on the cross. <laughs> he saved others. Let's see what he can do for himself. He would never use it for himself, but only for the good of God's creation, only to bring glory to the Father. And he would exercise that power and authority. And he would bring wholeness with it. The Son, the image of God. And then, his mercy is poured out. Poured out to people. I mean, can you imagine the Last Supper where he has to wash Mercy, love poured out in that moment. Judas would betray him. Yes, it's written. He knows he, this has to take place. I get it. The mercy and the love. Me, I would have punched Judas right in the mouth and said, "Sorry, dude. You know what? You know what you're about to do." Whack. That's me. Good thing I'm not Jesus. And mixed with the mercy of God. The mercy of Christ, I see, is forgiveness. Forgiveness. The woman caught in adultery. He did not. He did not say, "You know what? 
I don't condemn you. Now, woman, get out of my face because I'm without sin and I will throw the first rock. Leave. That's not what he said. He forgave her for her sin. She never asked for it. And maybe we could say, yes, well, he saw into her heart and she was sorry. I say she was sorry she got caught. But yet, it's almost like, it's almost like he, he wants to forgive. It's almost like he's willing and he's ready. He just wants to pour out mercy and forgiveness. The sun is the image of the invisible God. Then his compassion. God compassionate all of his creation. And you know, the Old Testament talks about his compassion. Exodus 33, Hosea 11, Isaiah 49. They're all talks about the compassion of God. But Jesus demonstrated compassion. Jesus showed the heart of the Father as it's directed towards his people. He, we don't need to guess. There is no guesswork anymore. If you want to know God, if you want to know what he's like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know the character and the nature of God, you read the Gospels and you look at the life of Jesus, the way he's lived. Now, I'm going to tell you something, Christian, and I said, I've said this for years, and I will continue to say this to you for as long as God allows me to speak in this pulpit. God is not mad at you. God is not disappointed in you. Not because of you, in spite of you, but because of the work of Christ. If you want to know the nature and the character of God, look directly at Christ. Here's the rub. For many of you, you know those stories. Nothing new. I haven't given you any amazing insight this morning. Maybe I made you giggle a little bit because last week you said, where's a cop when you need one? I get that. Here's the rub. As much as you know that, it's probably equal to you not living that. You walk around thinking God is mad. Disappointed him again. Screwed up again. Did that again. Can't believe I did that again. How can he have compassion on me? He doesn't want to forgive me. He can only forgive so many times. I mean, he's only human. Tell you something. You want to know the heart of the Father? All powerful, full of mercy, love. The Son, image, visible. Lord, I want to thank you for this truth. I pray that it would sink deep into our being, deep into our soul, deep into our heart, and that we would begin to live it, and not just know about it. That we would walk in your mercy, that we would walk in your compassion, that we would walk knowing that our God can do all things, and that the scriptures promise that we too can do all things through Christ who gives us his power, his strength. Love you, Lord.
Amen.